millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. At least, and then so like Friday, it seems like a vacation or so i don't know like whenever i'm home on a friday i'm like what's (laughs) when i'm home on a friday and i'm not on the road it's my night to get stuff done yeah and like tonight i have somewhere to be and i'm like oh it sounds awful going on on friday nights and i don't know why i expect everyone else in the world to pay me to come out on a friday night you know what i mean i'm always like why don't people go out more? And then when I have a night off, I'm like, Ugh. but I they don't go out for a living. So yeah. so yeah, I mean, yeah, we go out for a living. We go out to like places where other people would it would be um, their night out. But we yeah, are, we are their night out. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird kind of a a thing. But yeah, so our weekends are like Sunday night. I do love Sunday. I like coming home Sundays. Do people ever say to you, look, if you ever need to relax, I've got a cabin. It's always somewhere like across the country. <laughs> I've got a place on Cape Cod. I'm like, I, that's not relaxing to no. me. It's flying somewhere. Like, yeah. I like to be here. I like to be home. As my vacation. Or if it's a vacation, then I'm going to really step it up and like go to Europe or go yeah. to like an island somewhere. But there's no like just flying to another state. Never relaxing. No. I don't give you have a cabin with Valium. It's not relaxing. <laughs> it's not going to be relaxing. <laughs> no. Yeah. Cape Cod is... Well, Cape Cod is also another place to work. Although I do love Cape Cod, and I think, well, if if, if you're going to offer, maybe I would go to Cape Cod, because I have a lot of friends there. But yeah, then it's yeah. a social thing, then you're seeing everybody, which is almost like work, too. Oh, totally. To be social. Yeah. To everyone. But Sunday, so, so do you do the early flight or late flight on Sunday? This is always, okay, this is the my favorite stuff to talk about as a comedian, and okay. only other comedians yes. ask these questions. yes. You know, like if you talk to someone else, they're like, how'd you get your start? You're like, no, no, one no, cares. no, 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 no. I went to an open mic. But this <laughs> is my, okay, so whenever I'm looking at travel and I'm always booking it months before mm-hmm. the gig actually happens, mm-hmm. I look at the flights. The best example I can think of is when you leave Indianapolis, there's always a 7 a.m. flight Mm-hmm. And of 6 p.m. Yeah. And so I think to myself, okay, I'll be done with the show at midnight. Then I'll do a meet and greet. Then I'll be back to the room. And by the time I power down, 2.30 in the morning, I'm getting right. to sleep. Then I have to get up at 5 to get to the airport. Yeah. Okay, that's going to suck. But I'll be home by 10 a.m. Right. But I'm home by 10 a.m. with no sleep. Is that really a day? I don't know. Yeah. Then the other option is leave at 6. So you leave for the airport at what? Like... Then, Three, then when you four? do, it's not like yeah. I'm in the Ritz. Like if you're somewhere that's not like fancy, fancy, it's just yeah. like you just kind of want to get out of the hotel. Yeah. So now you're hanging around the airport. Maybe they don't have a lounge. Now what do you do? It's I have to think about this. Yeah. And this notion that I'm staying later so I can get a proper eight hour sleep. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee. No. I might wake up from like housekeeping, knocking on the door next door, mm-hmm. like a loud neighbor. So I always opt for the early flight. Oh. And I always regret it. But I don't regret it as much as when I've noticed, oh, my God, why did I book the 6 p.m. flight? Right. 
well, why it, did I do it that? It is kind of like, I'm like, there's something energizing about landing at LAX and being able to go home without it being like rush hour traffic. Yeah. The Sunday, Sunday, like at 10. Yeah. It's great. Like it's, it's the best. You can just get right home. And then, it, you know, there, Sunday is such a weird thing because you just, um, you know, you have the day to yourself and it's mm-hmm. kind of like you can do the things that you wanted to do. Yeah. And you're free. Like you don't have a show that night. No. It's so free. My favorite part is to lie. So my favorite part is if I have friends I haven't seen in a while or whatever, or just someone that we're working on something together, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If someone's like, so you're back Sunday? I'm like, at like midnight. And I just <laughs> feel so good about it. And I yeah. don't social media that day and nobody knows where I am. Right. And nobody knows that I took the early flight and I'm just home in this sort of like witness protection program from mm-hmm. the rest of the world and I can decompress. I have to it's put great. everything away immediately. Oh, okay. So I'm that person. So like throw it on the laundry, oh. go to the dry cleaner, get, I, and then I feel like totally settled. Yeah. And then, but then how does it feel if you have to do um, satellite on Sunday night? Like I always get like kind of anxiety. Oh. <laughs> I love satellite. If you do a local gig, you mean like yeah, satellite? Well, yeah, yeah. Like, like, um, yeah, Neil Hamburger, who yeah. I love. I see. I've learned my lesson just for me. I'm done with getting attention for the weekend mm-hmm. so I'll never book a Sunday night after a road gig oh so you'll do it when you're just when home just anyway at home. now yeah. I've done it I've booked it and I always not that particular show but I always will end up canceling mm-hmm. and I'm like I think I'm someone else when I say yes to things I think yeah, I'm someone with a too. lot of energy who's yeah. really sociable but at the end of the day I'm kind of not it just depends yeah if I am like that it's totally spontaneous it can never be planned so mm. I'm always like I'm not doing that and then I'll cancel and be like oh I've another yeah. there's a lot of lying going on with flights it's really the only thing I lie about like oh I booked a late flight no but it's like you need your it's like you, you we have to figure out where to set the boundaries because people that don't understand how taxing traveling and comedy is, together yeah. is they don't really get that it takes you a day on either side to get through so. it. Yeah. I think. I need some just like some quiet time, some downtime. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I have both had voice issues. Yeah. And so yeah. when I had my voice stuff and I was like this and I couldn't talk. The worst, yeah. I really could only do the shows. Yeah. And that was really hard. So I really had to go into vocal rest for a few days after yeah. it. Yeah. And I couldn't even talk to people, friends, anything. Yeah. So I never really recovered from that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so I find that I do take this like entire quiet day after I get off the road, even though I don't need to anymore. But it's good for you. I think it's I can, good. I think it's good. Yeah. I think it's good for me just to, because it's not just the shows. It's like morning radio. It's also yeah. um, being, you know, it's not the nicest places that we stay. People think, oh, it's so fabulous. It can be fabulous sometimes. Yeah. But usually I don't opt for that. It's usually just sort of a business hotel. Yeah, exactly. You know? And on the gigs where I'm paying for it myself, well, both sides, if they're paying for it, it's not anything fancy. Mm-hmm. If I'm paying for it, I'm not going to waste my entire salary no. on like the Ritz. But I am obsessed with points and I'm a Kimpton hotel oh, girl. Oh, me too. So I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I love, love like the boutique hotels mm-hmm. because if I am somewhere for a few days, I do want, I love to just stay in my room. Yeah. I, no matter what the city has to offer, I'm sure it's great, know, but I'm but not there. I, I cannot give any energy to anything. Can't see a museum. Yeah. Can't go out to no, eat. No, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I Inside. like to stay. What do, you, what do you do? Do you order room service? Sometimes yes. it's not. The best though. No, it's not. But that's always my thing. People are like, "Do you need any food recommendations?" I'm like, "No, no I no, need no, nothing." I'm not gonna go. <laughs> no, I'm not going. I try to eat like sort of healthy on the road. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm like a cheating vegan. Like I'll eat 
dairy sometimes, but I try not to eat dairy on the road and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'll order like Postmates from a vegan restaurant. Oh, that's good. And I love to eat at three. So then that way I'm not full when I'm on stage. Oh, yeah. And and so, or I'll get a room service if I can get like a salmon salad, mm -hmm. cheating vegan. And so, yeah, I love that. And like a pot of tea or pot of hot coffee, especially mm. if I've just landed mm. and I wake up and I, oh my God, it's my favorite there's like not enough time for my ritual. Yeah. And then, you know, do like a workout in the room, then do a Ooh. shower and like a mask. It's like a little spa retreat. Wait, what do you do with a workout? Like this is like something that I needed to know because yeah. I just, I have like all those resistance bands in my bag that have never yeah. come out. Okay, so <laughs> I'm obsessed with Model Fit. Have you heard of it? No, no. It's a, it's a class in LA and it's perfect for someone like me who's like, I'm not 20 and I'm not going to be like spinning and you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I don't like a lot of cardio, but it's like, it's almost like 80s aerobics, but oh, yeah. with a little like micro arm movement stuff. I like that, yeah. And then like you're doing these like tiny micro like resistance bands, two pound weights, whatever, that mm -hmm. kind of like Gwyneth Paltrow leaning it outlook. Yeah. And so they have an online thing, Model Fit TV. Oh. And so I subscribe, it's a hundred bucks a year and I do it in hotel rooms. And all That's I great. need are my resistance bands and I bring two pound weights if it's like not, too mm -hmm. heavy of a suitcase already. And I just do that in my room and it makes me so happy. Oh, that's great. Or you can just YouTube like 10 minute, whatever yeah. resistance. I need to do that. I, You know, one time I YouTubed um, a Cirque du Soleil ab routine and I watched it and <gasps> then I had to take a nap. Like, I'm like, I, it's just like, I try to set the bar too high for myself. Yeah, like that's, don't you, you're like, they're like, all right, get in your shower and get on the pole. <laughs> flip around. No, too I much. can't. It's too much. I have to just keep it super simple. Oh, yeah. And I have one of those like little like balls that you can deflate and oh, like do yeah, abs like by laying on them. Like at Matt Pilates. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't always do this. It's usually the first day I'm rocking it. Like I have that adrenaline from traveling. Mm -hmm. I maybe got up at 4 a.m. LA time. I land in wherever in the Midwest that I am. Yeah. And now it's two and it's like these glorious and you only have one show that night if it's a club. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that glorious five hours of freedom. Yeah. That's when it's like I unpack. I do my workout. I take a shower. I order room service. I have the mask on when they come in. I'm not. A, I'm not ashamed. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and then I drink my pot of coffee, and then I'm like ready to go. And mm. if I'm feeling like in the mood, and it depends on the hotel, like if it's a Kimpton, they've they've got their five o'clock free wine hour. Mm -hmm. I go oh, down yeah, for yeah, the yeah. free wine hour. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. that's good. Because I don't drink on stage or at the club usually. Yeah. So yeah, but I do like a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a lady on a Thursday night. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> of course, why not? I mean, that's yeah. great. I mean, then I think that you're really maximizing um, your time and using it for like spa time for yourself. Yeah, and stuff like I do this thing. Well, a Mary Lynn Ricecup and I talk about it like before Uber. We would be like, I'm going to walk on the side of the highway. <laughs> like, I'm going to walk. Oh, that's to, right. Like, so many times in Dallas, yeah. I've just walked down the expressway. Just walk on the side of the mall. highway. Yeah, I'm just going to the mall. Like, I have to, you know, <laughs> I need to get something from uh, what Bath and Body Works. And so I have to get, when yeah. I go to KFC or whatever. No, uh, it would be California Pizza Kitchen probably. Yeah. If yeah. I go, or Panera Bread. But I'm going to walk on the side of the freeway and get there. Did you ever rent a car? I was just going to say, it's my new thing. Oh. It's my newfound freedom because mm. I can't take the small talk anymore with people don't realize how many Ubers we have to take right. if it's a trip. It's mm. from airport to hotel, hotel right. to gig, hotel yeah. back to gig that yeah. night. It's it's sometimes 
twice a day. Right. Sometimes three, depending if you go somewhere for I can't get in the... It's too much. Why go to the comedy club? Well, were you just at the club? Who, I yeah. don't want to tell them I'm a comic, blah, blah, blah. No. And I just like the freedom. And I'm always like, and I can explore. I never explore, but it's mm-hmm. okay. I like the freedom. And I like to just... Yeah, just get in my car and go somewhere. And, and mm. if I have, like, books or whatever I'm selling after the show that, like, they can stay in my trunk. It just yeah. feels – I the any sense of control I have, I love. So I've become a car renter. That's good. And, yeah, and now when I pull up to the – and I don't normally, like, get excited about a business hotel, but those are the ones with the free parking. Oh, right. And I'm like, oh, my God, now <laughs> I'm not spending 40 bucks a day parking. So, yeah, I'm getting – I'm becoming, like, a car renter. Are, it's do you good. do it, too? Um, I haven't done it because I used to go to um, – I used to do, like, those college runs where, like, 20 to 1 dates in a row. So I would rent a car and, and drive myself in between. Yeah. That, that's sort of what we had to do to get around at that yeah. point because you would do, like, a nooner or something and then have a show that night. So you would need to – have a drive oh my god I never did that I never did the college thing for some reason I didn't have a college it's weird following. it yeah. was weird because I was I was like right at the time period when they were doing a lot of that I think it's probably less now yeah and um but you could make pretty good money by just doing schools but it wasn't fun right, it was right. like nooners are like in the cafeteria would be like Awful. horrible horrible Can't in the daylight yeah we're doing like an a, a pilot school I did one time yeah I did like an aeronautic aeronautic school (laughs) aviation school yeah yeah nothing in common with the people i've done like boys schools it was kind of horrible that would really frighten me so freaky credit yeah i still drive myself from like city to city like i just did a short little like southern run this year Mm -hmm. and it was like alabama i forget nashville something oh like the stardom oh did you do zanies and then the stardom that's like an alabama kind of like no i did um I forget where I did in Nashville, this place, Basement East, and then I went to this place in Alabama called, I forget the name, but it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they have like a full, beautiful apartment. It looks like it was decorated by like a TV show. Oh. And uh, I didn't stay there. I didn't even know. I think someone just lives there. But but I, I used to have a real fear of driving. Like I was kind mm-hmm. of an anxious person. I used to have a fear of flying, fear of driving. So I never really thought I was going to be a road comic. Mm. And then now I am not afraid. So it still feels liberating but then yeah. there can be those moments when I'm driving and I'm like I'm not successful enough I don't have a tour bus I don't have someone driving <laughs> no. me like that yes like no. that still will get me where I'm like I'm I didn't and it's it's crazy but it's these little things and yeah. then I'll hear other people that I think are successful and they're driving I'm like okay that's okay then yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it's like it's really like I kind of like it because it's sort of traveling businessman which I always kind of fantasize that I am Yes. Like um there's that song um Night Swimming I think by REM where it's like a businessman going going swimming in the hotel at night. Is and that what the song is about or I is that the music so, video? I think that's what the music video is about. Oh my about. god, do you know how funny that is? That, it's that so I was great. I used to put that song on when I was I don't know how old, younger, early 20s, teenager, whatever to make myself cry when mm-hmm. I wanted to feel dramatic or just like do like emotional cutting. Yeah. And the fact that I ended up living the life that the music video is yeah. about is, I don't know if that's like depressing that's or beautiful. Tri- <laughs> it's really, it's like so must have connected on a deep level to well, that. Well, we do connect because it's trying to find that sort of comfort and safety at home when you're really like adrift and kind yeah. of off making a living out where nobody else is. It does feel, I used to have, and I will say usually by this whole like routine I'm bragging that I do, by day two or three, Mm-hmm. I just lay in bed sometimes until three and do nothing. I love that. Yeah, yeah so That's that that do. goes out the window quickly. But I used to want to be a truck driver when I was a little girl. Mm. And that was back like when the CB radio and my yeah. dad and I would be driving on the highway. And 
we were at Breaker one night, break, break, and the trucks would talk back to us. And then I wanted to be a train conductor. So there was a lot of this like traveling and out on the open road yeah. sort of desire of mine. And now the travel is not my favorite part of touring, but it does make sense that I fantasized about that Yeah, in, in a way. And yeah. I always go, I always say to myself, if I'm feeling sad or anxious on the road when I'm driving, I literally just talk to myself and go, this is freedom. This is freedom. Right. Right. And if I want to, I can stop anywhere I want as long as I'm mm-hmm. at the gig by whatever. I yeah, can you, stop you have anywhere. the freedom. Like you, you don't have to do anything. And it's really, that's really, it is liberating. Yeah. And it is a great way to make a living. I mean, if you think about how all these people, like most people in the world have difficult jobs. Yeah. And it's very hard. And ours is mostly like, well, it's hard to do shows sometimes and it's hard to travel. But other than that, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually, we, most of the time we have to ourselves. Yeah. I like to save. I like to be so excited to get on stage. Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel like it's the fifth thing I've done that day. I want to feel yeah. like it's the first. Right. So that's why when people are like, if you need recommendations of where to go in town, it's like, I'm so glad you're proud of your town. Yeah. I I can't care mm-hmm. or else you're not going to get a good show. So you got to pick. Do you want me to go see your yeah. cowboy hat museum or do you want <laughs> me to give a good show? <laughs> because if I'm wandering around too much, yeah. I'm just like, I dread the show. Right. And if I it's do too nothing, much, yeah. I yeah, I get You're energized. I get energized and get excited. Now, if I go like overseas or something like Australia, like that is different for some reason. Like mm. I do manage to find time to do both, but that is truly exhausting. But it's like I, I have this thing that I call four o'clock panic because I, if I'm not in the hotel and getting ready for the show at four o'clock, I panic. Like I oh, just like, yeah. oh, my God, what's where am I? Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what, what's going to happen? And getting ready, like, doing your makeup or doing yeah. your whatever. Like, whatever. looking over your notes or yeah, whatever. picking an outfit or something. Yeah, nothing even, like, that taxing. But I just, yeah. like, I need to be, like, in the hotel. Like, Do you what? have, like, this is my, like, when you're packing or you're like, this is my outfit that I'm going to wear on stage every night or do you change it every night or do you not know um yeah i do bring an outfit and i almost never wear it because i'm like i would rather just wear what i wore on the plane <laughs> like i just don't get lazy that's what happens to me i bring this outfit i try it on at home i'm like no i'm totally wearing this on stage this is my stage outfit mm-hmm. and then the hotel I'll like i'll throw on something to get a coffee in the lobby and yeah. i'm like this looks cool yeah this is and cute. then i just wear that on stage yeah and then i'm yeah it's always happens to me i always like pack for this thing of like somebody that i'm not yeah packs and then I have all this stuff and I'm like, why yeah. would I wear this? Why would I bring this? I pack for this like show person that I am or this like I always pack like these kind of like suit looking outfits mm. that like actually don't actually look that good on stage. They mm-hmm. just kind of look good in the mirror. Yeah. And there's not a lot of freedom of movement in them. Yeah. But those are in my suitcase every time. Like I'm wearing a suit. No, I'm not. I'm never wearing a suit. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever worn a suit. Well, actually, no, I probably wore like a tuxedo at one time. That would be cool. Yeah, that was kind of cool. But it wasn't uh, I, I was doing something not really stand up comedy. So I was hosting something for somebody else. So it didn't feel like a comedy thing. But yeah, suits were kind of like if you're a woman in comedy. Yeah. Especially like in the 90s, you should wear a suit, I think. Like that's a very like but it's almost like our parents modeled that behavior. So we have to go and do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like even like Rosie O'Donnell, when she had sort of like um, that. Uh, stand-up spotlight on VH1. Yeah, yeah. She would wear like a long suit jacket. Totally. So Ellen would kind of modify. Ellen sort of just like became so famous, all she had to do was the vest. Yeah, the vest or just like a blazer. There's this image in my head that no matter if it's stage or just walking around in life, I'm like, 
I'm Diane Keaton at the Emmys in like a ladies suit. Like that's what I I picture myself as. But I still haven't like you need to go and get something tailored and or have it made. And so I bring my crappy version of that on the road. And then Mm. I put on the hotel room like this does not come off like that. Mm -hmm. This comes off like someone that doesn't know how to dress themselves. But for some reason that outfit that I think is this other thing makes it into my back. Well, yeah, like when I was starting comedy, I thought in my mind that I was always going to wear elbow length gloves. <laughs> like, 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 like almost like, opera length gloves. Like, yes. All the, with like jewelry. Like I was like, I thought, oh, I'm going to wear that. Where did you get that from? I don't the know. The only thing I can think of is like the Muppet show. Like yeah. Miss Piggy. Maybe Miss Piggy or like maybe it was like. I, I don't even know. Maybe it was like Carol Channing. Oh, Carol Channing, of course. You know, that's I right. think that's what it is. Like I yeah. would wear like some kind of a stole and like um, a lot of rhinestones and like a with a lot of rings and then a long glove. Like what the hell? Well, it's funny because when I was a kid, that's who I saw Carol Channing. I saw her live. My mom took me to see her when I was like five and that must have made an impression. And, and so in my mind, getting into show business was going to be these outfits. Yeah. And I didn't realize, well, it's, you know, 1979 when I'm five it's not going to stay that way Mm -hmm. even ladies her age in show business by the time I got into it they weren't wearing that I mean it was a style of the times yeah and then also it was an age thing and Mm -hmm. I just thought well no that's what I'll be wearing and I do remember even I think I tried to pull that off a little bit in high school Mm -hmm. I smoked cigarettes out of a a holder holder. yes I thought I was and I I wasn't trying to be Audrey Hepburn I was just trying to be what I don't know just like an interesting i guess that's cool yeah well <laughs> i it's, mean it's very dramatic it's, it's very, very dramatic. theatrical yeah you know to have like the the filter thing the long thing like a cigarette holder and it is it's kind of 60s and yeah and i think i was wearing those kind of gloves as and i grew up in boston like uh, or in the suburbs of massachusetts so like i was wearing those gloves once as my winter gloves my mom was like what do you do these aren't oh go yeah, throw yeah. With snowball gloves like, yeah yeah because they were from a halloween costume and mm. i was like Maybe I'll just keep these on, yeah, you know, and just be that. It, it was a again the same thing with my like Diane Keaton suit. I'm trying to do like it's you got to do the real thing or you look like an idiot. Well, I think with the Diane Keaton suit, the it's about having um, the different proportions because like her ties were really wide, and then the pants were wide leg but the tiny waist. Yes, and then you had um, maybe a very large vest, but it was also fitted. So. There was something with the proportions and then kind of a weird hat. Yes. Yes. There was something kind of shabby about it, but in kind of vaudeville. Yeah. And like completely planned. And like you said, proportions like down to the detail. and Yeah. yeah. Like odd proportions, but still like kind of fit this, uh, the body in a feminine way, even though it was masculine clothing. Yeah. That's what, that's the goal I'm going for. And I just yeah. need to go do it. Yeah. Instead of bringing my weird outfit around that I'm never going to wear. I think it's a good, I think it's a good <laughs> look. I think it's like, um. I, I one time I saw Diane Keaton in this restaurant on Melrose and it was like nine at night and she had a sort of the same outfit. She's probably like in her seventies at least, you know, yeah. and, but she had these like dark, dark sort of like John Lennon glasses and like a, a huge hat. And she just sit there and she just looked like there was so much stuff on her face and head that <laughs> I was like, that must be really exhausting yeah. to have all of that stuff. And a big starched collar and just everything that it took to just be Diane Keaton. Yeah. It was just, it, it was too much for me to bear. Do you follow her on Instagram? No, no, no. I don't know. Oh, it, it, it would stress you out. 
Is there a lot of stuff on her head? It's a lot of her outfits every day. And there's just so many layers and things and covering this and covering that. I mean, she looks fantastic, but it's the same thing. Yeah. It just looks, and it's, you know, a million degrees out right now. And she's like in her all black, like a lot of things. Turtleneck. And yeah, one time I was at a, I was at a party uh, and um, it was a weird ass party. It was a Penny Marshall and Carrie Fisher used to do a party every year for their joint birthdays. So it was like, everybody was a celebrity. And um, our, uh, Tom Petty and Carol Kane walked in, and Woo. they both had cloaks and top hats, and like you know, like that don't come around here no more video where he's like the what the Mad Hatter. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like that. Like, were they a couple? I don't think so. Are they just friends? They were just yeah. they just had a lot of shit on their head. I love and face. that look, and it was so like amazing but yeah. it was like these purple like psychedelic glasses and like just a lot of stuff hanging off of everything and it was just so like i don't know it was really something to see so i really respect people that have a lot of shit on yeah and they have their look and now i'm like oh i want to go to fancy parties like that with like iconic yeah. people in their iconic clothes all like the stuff on what am i doing with my life yeah staying I mean, in on sunday nights not not anymore well it is a struggle to go out i don't <laughs> I ever want to go out you do sets though you do sets in town i'm actually really starting to own that though like it doesn't mean i'm not a comic no, and no, i feel no. like for so long there was this very male attitude of like if you don't go up every night you're not a comic and you have to do this yeah. and i have a new hour every year and i'm blah 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 blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. and i'm like if i'm doing like 200 hours a year like I feel like a that's comic enough. you know or that's whatever yeah. yeah and and I don't know if that's even accurate but yeah you would say like you do five hours a weekend and yeah, of course. Say, yeah absolutely and so um but yeah I feel that same way but I you know I still get really shy about the comedy store like I never tried to get past there mm-hmm. so I don't have this relationship of Calling in my avails, but if somebody books a show there and they ask me to do it, I'll yeah. go do it. Yeah, but I'm not like on the thing, and I just got my name on the thing um, last year. I had never been how on. How is the... it not? A... How? I don't That's know. crazy to me. Well, I, I never really or maybe did you didn't sets... try for it. Yeah, I never did yeah. sets there. I only started doing sets there like maybe last year or two years ago or something. Yeah, but now it's like so far for me that I just don't. I'm not. I'm not enthused to 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 go do it. Right. Um. Because it's it's definitely not as much of a social thing as it is going to Largo because it's like at Largo I'll see more of the people that I know or even the improv I'll see more of the people that I know yeah and then at the comedy store it's a lot of people that I don't really know as well yeah yeah so it's just a different kind of a vibe yeah totally it's so crazy how I'm like oh yeah 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 I'll fly to Oslo Norway for a gig that's easy yeah drive to the Sunset Strip you guys are out of your mind no we're not doing it (laughs) What about England? Yeah. You do a lot of England, don't you? I, I did. I just um, I just recently canceled a gig on them because I got some work here and I didn't, I wanted to do it. But I, I do it like once a year and recently I did it twice in one year and then I was like, okay, now I'm starting to burn them out. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I would do once a year, like a week at the Soho Theater. Oh yeah, and that's a great theater. I, I had a hard time with England at first yeah me too and and i don't know what if it was me or them it's it's weirdly sexist about comedy they have a thing about like women comedians yeah. and especially outsiders because comedy there it's like they they see the same comics year after year and their comics really turn over the material because it's the same audience so yeah they have this relationship with their comedians that we don't have here. It's like so, so big and there's so many people that there's not that same thing. So yeah. it's an expectation and there's a sort of a thing about women in comedy where yeah. they hold fast to this weird belief that women aren't funny, but it's that's not true, of course. Yeah. It's very strange. It takes a while to break through. Maybe it got better after Hitchens died. 
Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because the first, you know, the it's interesting too because the place I was doing at the Soho Theater, it wasn't quite a comedy venue yet. Yeah. So people were coming and some people were acting like theater patrons, like mm-hmm. listening, like th- they thought laughing would be rude. Yeah. And then some people were the complete opposite. They were drinking to to the point where they're throwing up. Right. And they were hackling, get to the point, I'd say like three words as yeah. a setup. And um, I'd heard they have this big heckling culture. And then I think I started to get my own audience. Yeah. And then the place got its own audience. Right. That just liked comedy. And yeah. it started to get better. Mm-hmm. And then obviously I probably improved over 10 years time. But I do think it's a bunch of those things. And I'm always like, is that sexism or am I, was I just not... No, bringing it's sex- it then. It's, it's sexism yeah. because yeah. it takes a while. You know, there's a sort of like anti-American thing and then there's also an anti-woman thing right. that we have to get through. But once we get through that, then they're great. Yeah. You know, I love England because you get the true eccentrics. Yes, I love eccentric I people. Do. I love them so much. And that type of thing with comedy is like any moment that our job brings us into contact with these people, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, really it's great. all worth it. It must be, I don't have kids, but it must be like, the kids act up for an entire day or week mm-hmm. and they do one cute thing. You're like, oh, it's all it's worth so it. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's all yeah, worth it. It's like after a week of traveling or like a crappy audience or something or when you lost money on something and then you see someone mm-hmm. in bed sheets that wrote Rocky Horror, yeah. you're like, oh, this is why I do it's this. It's really great. <laughs> it's like we, we get to go everywhere and we get to hang out with these people and it's good. Yeah, it's cool. Well, I love you. I'm so glad that we had, we just got very, very into our comedian lives which is so awesome. Yeah. Where can people find your gigs? Like you're always out there. You're doing so many different things. Where can yeah. people find you online? JenKirkman.com. Just right there on my website. Mm-hmm. And can I say one thing, a compliment to you? Yes. Um, you are the reason my mother accepts me as a comedian. Like oh. you, your documentary, I'm the one that I want, came out when I started doing comedy. Mm. And I back then I thought everything was sexism, which it probably was. Yes. But some things looking back, like you're not going to get booked on xyz club because it's your second night ever of doing Mm. comedy you know i'd be like that's sexist but your documentary came out and i went to see it and my mom was mad at me at the time because i imitated her in my act Mm -hmm. and i ripped that off from howard stern from listening to him over the years like imitate his parents and his remind me of mine so much and she thought you're revealing my secret jennifer you're revealing my secrets and there weren't (laughs) any secrets at all that i was revealing Mm -hmm. and I took her, I watched yours by myself and then I took her and I said, you have to understand like the, the, the female tradition of talking about your mom and mm-hmm. also that it's, it's to call out in a loving way, generational differences yeah. and cultural differences. Yeah. And when she saw that, like almost as if she was looking to her, to your mom as aspiration for her, like I'll be a famous mom someday. Aww. And now they come to all my gigs. Yeah. And people are like, my mom's her own little celebrity thing. And people take pictures with her and she waves and everyone loves her. But she talks about it all the time that she said, thank you for I would anytime we had a disagreement instead of shutting her out of my life, I try to bring her into it. Mm -hmm. And and showing her your movie was was this thing she's always thanks me for because it really mm. helped her understand what it this crazy thing her daughter was going into. Yeah, I'm so, so glad. Yeah. Well, thank you You're so welcome. much. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm really glad. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And now we talk to Linda Mizajewski, the author of Pretty Funny, Women Comedians and Body Politics. So when you teach comedy, what do you, what do you start with? Do you work sort of like showing people comedy, you show your students comedy shows? Is that how... You start? Uh, well, we, we, we certainly do. Uh, we look at, uh, I ask them what they want to see mm-hmm. and what they look at. And I always find that their answers are really kind of get to the heart of things. So, for yeah. example, when I told them that I was going to be talking with Margaret Cho, they said, Margaret Cho, she's the one with the naked ass tattoos. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is, that's on YouTube. Yes, yes. And when they look you up on YouTube, it's like the third one done. But it has to be fairly flattering of my ass. All right. So, can you see they're like pictures of women's faces, right? And their um, their faces, and then there's like a pinup thing going. And then I told the artist, "Oh, you finally see it. It's like an optical illusion. But it's like, it's like the, the young lady and the old lady. Like it's like a two different things. Um, you know what I mean? But I told when the artist did it, I said, "Okay, just don't put the nose too close to my hole." And they said, you've got to ask her about this. And really, that's a good way to start yeah. with your comedy because mm-hmm. I think it's crucial to what you do. Mm-hmm. That was such a bold move and such an important move. Can you talk a little bit about what went into that and the decisions and if you had any hesitations? Because you're doing something really risky, you know, mm. kind of, you know, exposing the female body, yes. you know, in the face of all the feminists talk about the male gaze and, oh, right. oh my gosh, the exposure. <laughs> and there you are. And there are these beautiful tattoos Thank and you're you. wearing a lovely thong. Uh, but, but tell me what went into that decision. <laughs> well, I think that, um, well, I come from the world of burlesque, which is like using the body as political commentary and comedy and Sort of, there's there's power in in that power in using your own skin as a kind of um, I don't know, like as a message, using your own skin to deliver the message. And I think uh, there's so much um, that I've been at war with, and in, in terms of my body, with eating disorders, with a long time in show business, with a with a kind of a sense of not really being accepted in in show business because of my ethnicity, because of my uh, the way that I'm built, all this stuff that, that not fitting in kind of all comes down to the skin. And so um, being able to use my skin in comedy to be naked is, is really powerful. So I enjoy it. I think of it as kind of like, I think I'm not sure what wave of feminism that is. You know, there there's so many different ways to be feminism, and there's the different waves have different attributes. You know, sort of the suffragettes, and then there's that sort of like women who wanted to be taken seriously, and then there was like the 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 Simone de Beauvoir generation, the the you know Gloria Steinem generation. It's all these different ones, um, and so. But I find that like I'm probably closer in into the uh, the riot girls, like that's sort of my era. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, you were a groundbreaker. Yeah. You know, and, and no one had done what you did in speaking back 
to uh, to prejudice and Hollywood bigotry as you did in I'm the one that I want. Oh, thank I mean, you. That, I mean, that was that was important. That yeah. was historical. That was yeah. a, a really kind of watershed moment. And what was important about that, I think, was that you put your body center stage and mm. said, "This is my topic, mm-hmm. and this is this is this has been unseeable and unthinkable, and uh, you know uh, the way you've seen Asian bodies in the past have been through the lenses of various kinds of stereotypes, mm-hmm. and you've refused to do that, yeah. and instead continued to kind of put your body out there yeah. as as the political material, and that's yeah. why I think it's so incredibly important. Oh, thank um, you. I had a question about representation, because mm-hmm. you talked last week with Cole about Asian American visibility and mm-hmm. the importance of representation and how, sadly enough, all these years later, it's still an issue mm-hmm. of you know, representing the, the, uh, the Asian American body. But you also have this body that's the queer body mm-hmm. and the naked body with yes. the tattoos. Yes. And, uh, you know, you talk about your family having trouble with your bisexuality. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that tension between being representative mm-hmm. and, on the other hand, being unique and queer and defiant about being yeah. who you are? It need, it always needs explanation, especially with, like, a bisexuality like people really understand what it is to be a lesbian people really understand it what it is to be gay but the duality of bisexuality is hard to grasp because the identity of bisexuality has a lot to do with an identity that people adopt because they weren't comfortable coming out all the way and that there was this thing of like i'm not going to disappoint you all the way (laughs) so whatever a convenient truth that exists in coming out is bisexual it's almost like telling half the truth so that's sort of what people refer or think of bisexuality as being but i i actually think there's also problems with the term bisexual because that that sort of makes it seem like there's only two genders which i think that's not true either so there's a lot of things that you go up against when you're identifying in that way and um so it's hard to kind of figure it out you know for me kind of being othered in so many different ways you know being in entertainment which is mostly a a cisgender, heteronormative, a male profession, especially comedy, a white male like identity is like when we think of comedians, we think of white men. And so um, to be in that world as an Asian American woman, to be queer, to be bisexually and queer, to have um, a sense of like my body being very different, it's it's a lot. You know, it's a lot to take on all of those kind of responsibilities of identity and explaining that and sort of putting forth um, a message that is authentic, but at the same time, um, something that helps, you know, something that's not as like uh, warped as some of the messages that I would sort of see of like, you know, women, especially in the 90s, who um, even if they had powerful voices, their, uh, their image was very much about frailty and that heroin chic that we so admired in the 90s. It's a very it's a very strange place to be. Well, in the 90s, there were very few people doing what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? And All American Girl got a really troubled response mm-hmm. because no one knew what to do with this body right. and with and with uh all those kind of complications and the complicated yeah. uh identities that, that you talk about there. I know that when you did that sitcom, there was some blowback from the Asian American community. Yes. Do you still feel some of that or do you, or do, you do you still feel that that burden of saying, you know, I am out here as a star as an Asian American star? Well, you know what was interesting is that when All American Girl premiered, it was right 
uh, after the LA riots. So Korean Americans were really in a strange place in terms of how they were being represented, or how they wanted to be represented. And it's a very patriarchal culture, and they were uh, offended that I was out there, I was very raunchy, it's a very blue comedian, also that I was a woman, also that I was queer, also that I wasn't, like, coming from a place that they sort of wanted to be coming from. So there was a lot of things that they were against, and, and so I got a lot of blowback, specifically from the Korean Christian community, who really, you know, they suffered a lot during the riots and they suffered a lot of property damage and also um, just hostility within the communities that they were in. And so it it was hard to kind of be a target for them. But um, what happened is all those people died. And so I, <laughs> I'm actually the elder generation now, which is great because I am able to uh, support and applaud all of the younger Asian American comedians out there who are starting and, and, and starting to make big waves in entertainment. And a lot of them were inspired by what I was doing. So it's, it's a great place to be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, when you talk about the problems of, of grappling with identity, you're talking about some things that are very painful. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I was thinking about your interview last week with Alok mm-hmm. and this whole thing about pain and the relationship between comedy and pain. Mm, yes. And I think the Hannah Gadsby uh, special really has brought this out. Yes, you know, when yes. she you know really you know stops being funny at some point and said, "Here is the pain. Right. This is the story." Could you talk a little bit more about that? About that relationship between pain pain and vulnerability and comedy? Well, I think it's like really what it is, is that um, we always think that funny people must be suffering on the inside. And I think that part of that is true because comedy is really a, like humor is a coping mechanism. So if you if you have a developed um, sense of coping, you must have endured a lot of suffering. And so that that is sort of a natural way to think about comedians. Um, Hannah is really interesting because she is such a... Uh, there, there's such a lightness to her comedy and such a, there's something that is so tender and uh, unique and funny and bright about what she does, but it comes from a place of deep suffering and the difficulty of growing up queer, very visibly queer in Tasmania, which is such a, you know, it's such a rough place. It's a, it's, it's a kind of a frontier. It's hard for women anyway. And to be queer and to be young and to grow up there uh, it's it's I, I think it's kind of something that we could only imagine you know it's if we're like coming from American for me coming from San Francisco which is a different place so I I really think um, like maybe that her natural tendency is to be kind of light and that her comedy comes from a place of this like bubbling bubbly joy but has to deal with such difficult circumstances so I I think that uh, she sort of brought in the conversation again about like where does comedy come from or where does uh, humor come from and it, it is it is from coping oh and, and certainly the most difficult part of her performance is her admission of the sexual assault or the you know the being beat up yeah. being beat up for who she was yeah okay so it's kind of it's, it's the kind of uh, violence that LGBTQ people experience frequently right you know the threat of actual body bodily harm and she goes through this and and, and I love how she tells that first version of the story that's a joke and this right. the light version mm-hmm. okay and then gets into the part of you know that that, that says this is not funny and this is what happens and this 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 has to be heard mm-hmm. and I, I find it really interesting that this is becoming 
that 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 kind of admission of trauma is part of comedy's venue these days. Yeah. You know, with Tignataro's uh, breast cancer, mm. and you know, I was thinking also that you were part of the Me Too movement even before the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. because you did that incredible, you're part of that incredible book called, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name of the book. Uh, It was the one about uh, uh, rape. Oh, yes means yes. Oh, right. It was always very hard to talk about trauma in comedy because audiences want you to be heroic and they don't want the, um, the dailiness of tragedy to encroach upon when they are laughing. So it's a very... It's a weird place to be. And nowadays, it's become really a testament to comedian's skill to use that suffering in a way as like almost like colors that you would paint with, you know, like to use all of that darkness to, um, I guess, contrast to the lightness. So Tig is great because Tig is so, what I love about Tig is that she has such like this very classic, a deadpan delivery that almost negates any kind of real suffering and tragedy you know but it's like the very thing that you need to kind of get you through it and I I really admire that so she has a very different style to you know somebody like Hannah even though they're you know they're both like they sort of wear their queerness they're very different artists uh, they are when when, when t- takes off her shirt in Boyish Girl Interrupted, mm-hmm. that's a really radical act. It is, yeah. Okay, and it's it reminds me of a lot of what you have been doing mm-hmm. in terms of kind of putting your body right there in the center of the controversy and saying this is what you need to see, and and and, and this you know kind of uh, transgresses a boundary that that, that, that we usually have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really interested in how you have not become mellowed as you've got along, but oh, have become good. I think. <laughs> more radical or it that's seems good. that way to me does it does it yeah. seem that way to you or do you feel like you've had to be more radical because of the times we're living in i guess so but i mean i'd, I'd hope that yeah that you want to be like an old school commie like an old school lefty where you you get more and more like wild and out out there the older you get i think that's a better way to age i think it's a better way to um you know kind of stay young is to always embrace new ideas and always come prepared again to be uh, have another revolution constant I think it's good I think it's really good and so I want to try to do that you know and to me that's what's energizing too and I like I like the way that comedy is really such a such a mirror for society and then you see like can I be more radical well we need it more now with Trump we need that more than ever we need feminism more than ever we need a sense of consciousness and uh, a sense of like awareness for the other than ever uh, and, and you you've you've been doing this for quite a long time yeah 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 uh, i'm i'm curious because you were such a groundbreaker at the end of the 90s who did you listen to? Like, who were your inspirations well, when, when you thought about stand-up? I always love, I always love Wanda Sykes. She is great because she is so clever. She's such a great writer. And she just is, just makes it seem so simple. You know, um, she takes this very sort of uh, difficult things to talk about, difficult things to approach, whether it's race or queerness or feminism, all of the stuff that, sort of requires a lot and gives it so, uh, finesses it in a very stylish and very 
perfect astute way. So she she's really encouraging to me. I also really love, you know, like Tig also can be in that category too, somebody that always inspires me. Hannah's, I mean, I'm an early adopter. I'm an early, early Hannah Gadsby fan. Um, you know, me, I met her in, in Edinburgh in Scotland many, many years ago and, and just became so enamored. Like I always fall for the Australians too. So I, lo- I love the Australians and, and the Tasmanians. But um, yeah, so the, those are those are some people that I really love. And on the other side of like comedic writing, um, of course, I love Tina Fey. She's an amazing, amazing champion. Um, so pretty much everybody that you're talking about in your book. And also Ellen. Ellen was somebody that I uh, used to open for her in San Francisco many, many years ago when she uh, was headlining comedy clubs. So before television. Well, you know, I'm going to press you on this a little bit because you're talking about people who were coming out into, into comedy at the same time that you were. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that you didn't have many models when you started. Mm. You're talking about a lot of people who, you know, there was this, this renaissance. And, you know, the mm-hmm. reason this has become important is that things ha- began to happen in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. But previous to that, mm. really, I mean, you know, there were not very many. No, it's really different. I mean, of course... You know, you can't, uh, I guess you can't neglect, like, Roseanne. Unfortunately, Roseanne's legacy has really oh, been tarnished, yeah, like, yeah. because mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. there was a lot that she had done yes, for women in comedy. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really, it's really terrible, you know, because, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very irresponsible of her. And, you know, we all know her in a different capacity, yes. comedians, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's rough. But uh, I think she was really important. I think that Brett yeah. Butler... Also mm-hmm. somebody that yes. is somewhat yes. uh, forgotten yes. today in mm-hmm. a lot of ways in terms of comedy. She was mm-hmm. really important to my development. Um, somebody that I really admired, uh, Paula Poundstone, again, um, somebody who, uh, to me, she's like a magician. Like she is somebody that can create just gold out of nothing. And it is so impressive to watch. Um, for many years, Paula Poundstone was probably my favorite you know, um, in what she's able to do, and also political comedy, there's there's nobody better. You know, she's really somebody that I think is is just extraordinary. So, you know, there are women like that. Oh, of course, Rosie O'Donnell, somebody that I, I really am uh, very enamored with. I love her, and I love her comedy, and I love everything that she's done in all of the different things that she's done. When I was really young, we just all wanted to be like Janine Garofalo. <laughs> we just all right. idolized her, and we wanted to be just like her so i feel like she was kind of uh i mean karen kugelhoff and i she she just was like we just wanted to be like janine it's interesting that all the women that you're naming are women who were hilarious and they also were the women who were not going to be cast into romantic comedies yeah they they, you know they they, you know these were these were different kinds of bodies Mm -hmm. and they were out there when entertainment especially especially hollywood movies which is where people made so much money or sitcoms as Mm -hmm. you know from your experience yeah um who was going to be on a sitcom well the guy could look like anything yeah but the woman had to be pretty glamorous, right? Right, and and I and I, so I I think it's it's so important that this tradition begins of women who were standing up, literally doing stand up, saying mm-hmm. what I look like isn't the point, right? And that's right. that's really pretty revolutionary, given that you know, the constraints of entertainment that a woman's looks are everything. Right, it's, it's it's what she can possibly do. It's all her possibilities. Right, and to do to do stand up and to say. No, what I'm saying is more important. Mm-hmm. That's that that's revolutionary. It is revolutionary, and it's really I mean, and it it's rare, and it's something that I I'm just grateful to have been able to be in that 
industry to be able to move it along, you know, and, and also have people that inspired me. But I think like it's it's really something. I guess we all sort of learned it from Joan Rivers, who who uh, was certainly a very maternal figure um, for a lot of us. I really learned a lot from her, not only her performances, just from her personally, which is like giving me advice or if I did bad in a show, I could go to her and ask her like, what did I do wrong? Like, how did I misrepresent myself? And and she was always very encouraging. And um, so, you know, she was somebody that I think was a real pioneer who really helped us all out. You know, um, she would get like certain, she had feelings about like, she liked me, like she liked Sarah Silverman. I think that we reminded her of herself. And so there was a kind of, um, I don't know, some some real generosity that came from her that I don't know if other female comedians experienced as much, but I, I really certainly was the beneficiary of that. Yeah, and her history is so important as someone who should have had a TV night show of her own. Yeah. Okay, and there she was, you know, mm-hmm. and there was that possibility there, and she mm-hmm. she would uh, every once in a while stand in for uh, for Johnny Carson, and then eventually they feuded. Yes. And he really rejected her, and I think Forever. I think was really responsible for making sure that she did not get her own late night show. Right. And it was such a it was so heartbreaking because she had stood it stood up for him stood in for him for so many years and then the fact that somebody was offering her her own show with her own name above the title like everything about that was great and all that he had been working towards too for her but because she left to do that I think he counted that as a a tremendous betrayal. So, but that's like an old school way of thinking like she's not your property just because you've helped her and you've. Uh, sort of cast her as your protege doesn't mean that she has to stay your protege. You know, it's a, it's a very, it's, 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 it's wrong that he went about it that way. But she was very heartbroken by that, I think, for many years. I don't think she ever got over it. Yeah, yeah, that was central. It was really central. And I think it's central to the history of women's comedy that we, that we keep remembering these, these bad moments. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, uh, as well as remembering what kind of emerged from that. Yes. Um, yes. Well, a couple weeks ago, I, I listened to your chat with Kathy Griffin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. She's great. Wow. She's amazing. Wow. She's, she's been through so much, you know. And uh, the thing about Kathy is so interesting is that she is remains the same. Like she, no matter her circumstances, she's always the same person all the way up to like, I remember her in a studio apartment in Santa Monica that she paid like $300 a month rent. But she still acted the same, <laughs> like she was living in this billion-dollar house. Like she's still the same person. I I don't know, Lucia. You're getting upset for I don't know why. But she never changes. She never, and she's been through so much. Well, I mean, this whole last few years when she was on the no-fly list, I know, it's and so crazy. Detained at airports. This was really serious stuff. Yes, I mean, Donald Trump really hates female comedians he gets so upset like he gets so like why are you upset she doesn't like when we talk about trump she did not vote for him she's not he's not her president and she's really upset about it but i think that he um i mean he gets so hurt by women comedians like he's just he can't forgive them he gets so upset he doesn't want to be made fun of by women and especially women comedians well, if you think about it, it's you know a woman who is not making a living because of what she looks like, but what she says. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really, I mean, you can't get more anti-Trumpian than that, right? Right. That <laughs> really, gets to the a core. A smart woman with a smart mouth. Yeah, that gets to the core of his being. It's like when you can't be like judged in a pageant. I mean, the fact that he was like all of the, the crazy like Miss whatever pageants that he was like 
that you know that was his like family business is all these pageants and then so if women are talking it's very it's it's a problem for him what do you think about the theory that he does stand up at his rallies? You know, this is this is well, Emily, Emily Nussbaum is the one who did I, that great article about this, saying, <laughs> "Look, you know, this is what got him to be president that I he think, yeah. he does he does stand up." Well, because it is like they, you know, they are seeking a hero, and stand up comedians are are heroic figures. You know, they are a kind of. Um, you know, they, they are a kind of uh, somebody that can overcome through comedy. It's kind of a majestic power. It's a superhero thing to do. So he wants to be cast in that. You know, he 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 wants that uh, ability to be um, just to, I don't know, just to be funny and to like transcend. But he can't. He's not good at it. But <laughs> no, he's not good it's at it. It's just really sick. It's really sad. So he makes this sort of mockery of of in a very important office, you know, but it, it's, it is that it is like he wants to be the comedian. Well, and, and the comedy is cheap. It's always very cheap laughs yeah. and, yeah. and not very thoughtful and, and, and very, no. and very, very, very superficial, but it's effective. And that's the thing that scares me mm. that, you know, it works that his audiences love it. They eat yeah. it up, they laugh at all of his lines yeah. and he really kind of feeds off of that laughter. And, um, I, I always think that it's it makes stand up like yours all the more important mm, that we have got to keep these yeah. women on stage yeah. and, and keep these bodies and these queer bodies and different kinds of bodies and, and, and a variety of differences kind of uh, center stage getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why I think it's so important that Kathy Griffin's come back with yeah. that award winning mm-hmm. stand up routine um, yes. that begins, you know, the, her, her this new special begins not with her performance, but with at least 50 15 minutes of her uh, documenting how awful it was. Yeah, you know, for the for the year and a half when she was she was only performing in Europe, she couldn't perform mm-hmm. over here. Um, a couple scenes of her, she says, crying without her makeup in a kind of a scary way. But how terrific that she included that as yeah. part of. You've got to see this. Okay? Yeah. you've got to see this is the result. This is you know this is this is happening to a real person. Mm-hmm. But also this is harm that's being created by somebody who feels threatened. Yeah, somebody who's afraid and who he like he just doesn't want to be made fun of by women and it's like it's so upsetting and I think she's somebody that is such a survivor and if anybody can stand that kind of thing it it would be her because she's tough and and I think she's proved that and so it's it's really you know a testament to her ability and her skill as a as a comedian and um you know she's badass it's good well those are the last of my questions but what I wanted to tell you is what I see in women's strength inspired by you and others like you in my comedy classes in which students are willing to do stand-up. Mm. They are willing to do, these are That's freshmen. Great. These I are freshmen. Yeah. And I, I ask them, I said, this is not a requirement, but after mm-hmm. studying all these stand-up performances, uh, if anybody, is anybody willing to volunteer to do stand-up on their own? Do you know about half the class volunteers to do it? That's great. And it's because uh, uh, they they see women doing it. Mm-hmm. It's no longer an anomaly. Uh, it's around. They, they, they see performances in uh, comedy classes as they see it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But I think that we need to remember that, you know, you're you're influencing a new generation of comedians. And certainly yeah. you can see like the line between you and, and Ali Wong. Yeah. But you also got to remember, there are these young women out there who aren't going to make mainstream stages. But you know what? You've had an impact on their lives. I'm so glad. I'm really grateful for that. And I think comedy has come a long way. And I feel like young women should be doing comedy because we need their voices so desperately. You know, there's a the, the newer person I would say 
she i mean i think is amy schumer i just crazy about that kid because she's just a she's just a like a, the new beginning of what is possible and and ellie wong is as well i think it's a really exciting thing of these people who were inspired by our voices so that's really encouraging so young women should be doing comedy it's it's vital well okay well thank you very much thank you never miss an episode of the margaret show subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever you listen the margaret show is an erios production with editing by Kat Hong and original music by Garrison Starr. Erios. Powered by ACAST. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.